Good morning, everyone. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 71. Psalm 71. Thank you, everyone, for being here this morning. Today's a special day. It's our Bible school picnic today. And uh, so I certainly hope you can join us afterwards for, for that. We've put our picnic on the one day of the year where it's cloudy and looking like it could possibly rain. I don't know how we managed that, but somehow that happened. We're going to have a, a... We're not going to complain about the rain, though, are we? Not at all. We're going to have our, our picnic after our service today. Sure, hope you can join us for that. It's a lot of fun for the kids, but also for the adults, too. Um, if, you're, if any of the adults aren't able to make it but your kids would like to come, we would love to give them a lift and make sure that as many people can come as possible. It's a really fun time for the congregation and it's a really great time of building that fellowship together. I tell you about our Bible school picnic because our lesson today is going to be on our young people and on our duty towards our young people. Psalm 71 and verse 18. Psalm 71 and verse 18 says this. So even, actually, let's read 17 and 18. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and grey hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. I was going to say... Have a, let's have a show of hands of all those who have grey hair, but it's pretty obvious, I think. <laughs> all those who have grey hair, all those who have gone through youth and are now in the next stage of their life, Hannah pointed out, I have grey hair, um, she thinks. So uh, this, this verse now applies to me for the first time in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's it, Kevin. What is our responsibility, us who are past the age of youth, us who are getting on to the, the age of, of grey hair, the age of being the next generation? Our duty is to proclaim our God to the generation who is to come. So I want to go through this morning four ways that we, that we do that, four ways that we reach out to our younger people and four ways that we need to serve the younger people, not just in this congregation, but the younger people that we have in our lives. So number one, our duty is to proclaim God to them, as we've seen in Psalm 71 and verse 18. This is what God wants from us. Your Christianity is not to be lived on your own. It's not to be an individual religion. It's a religion that you share with those who are precious to you. And hopefully your children are precious to you and the children of those around you are precious to you. Look at Abraham's example in Genesis 18 with me. This is why God chose the man Abraham to be the one through whom he would bless the world. It was because Abraham understood this principle that his faith in God was not just an individual thing, but was something that he needed to share with the generations to come. Genesis 18 and verse 19. God says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. God would deliver these promises to Abraham's descendants because Abraham was going to pass on his faith 
to his kids. He was going to make sure that he proclaimed God to the next generation. Abraham was not indifferent to Isaac's faith. He didn't say, well, I've got my faith and you've got yours. He made sure that he prioritized Isaac inheriting that faithfulness that he, Abraham, had. Look at at the obligation that we are given in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is one of the central texts that the Jews would come to day by day. This is the Shema, the, the daily prayer that the Jews would give. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. I, I always look at this verse and think, well, parenting seems pretty easy to me. You've only got to teach your kids about God four times, right? When you sit down, when you rise up, when you lay down and when you're walking. That's only four times. That's easy, you know, only, only four times. This parenting gig, I don't know what your parents complain about. Looks easy to me, only four times. I guess that's why all of our parents buy treadmills and try running because that's the one time in your life that you're allowed to not teach your kids about God when you're running or jogging I guess when you rise up when you sit down when you're lying when you're walking he's trying to tell you at all times in your life you are to teach these things to your kids this sounds like a horrendously difficult task of course I'm joking when I say parenting looks easy This looks like the most difficult challenge on planet Earth. To spend all of your time when you're sitting down and when you're walking and when you're rising up. When you're rising up, have you ever taught your kids about God when you're getting out of your chair? (laughs) That's what this verse is saying. When When you're getting up every single moment of your life, saturate it with teaching kids about God. That seems like an incredible challenge, but it is the challenge that we're given. Sometimes, um, and you hear, I remember um, friends that I went to school with, their parents were somewhat religious, but they said, look, I'll just wait until they're older and then I'll teach them about God. You, you might have heard this before. Some people think, well, I won't teach them when they're too young because, you know, what's the point? When they're learning to speak, learning to walk, and then, you know, they're, they're just in primary school, they're just in the early stages of high school. I'll teach them when they're older and when they can understand. Um, I understand there's, there's some good intention to, to teach them properly when they're older, but so often this just doesn't work. That plan just, just is not successful. Let me visualize this for you. Let's assume that your kids are going to leave home when they turn 18. They might leave home later. I left home earlier. But let's assume that on their 18th birthday they're going to leave home. Every circle on this board represents one week that you have with your child from the day of their birth to the day that they turn 18 and potentially move out of home. Okay? So that's fine. If we're going to not teach our kids when they're babies, let's wait until their third birthday. You can see a lot of those weeks are already gone, but, I mean, their third birthday, what's a three-year-old going to know about um, atonement theory and why are we going to teach a 
a, a three-year-old about um, soteriology. So let's wait until they turn seven. All of a sudden you're missing a, a large chunk of their childhood, aren't you? All of a sudden those weeks which seemed like they, there was heaps and heaps to go around, all of a sudden they're, they're really compacting. By the time your child is seven, that's how many Sunday school classes they're going to have until they potentially move out of home. I know that, again, I'm not a parent and I stress to you that parenting seems like the most enormous challenge in the world. I wouldn't begin to try and lecture someone on, on how to be a parent when I have no idea how to do it. But this is, this is scary, isn't it? Suddenly missing a Bible class here and there is, is a big deal. Someone growing up. What about their 10th birthday? You know, let's say there's a lot of fathers in the world who don't get to spend time with their kids throughout the week. Um, so this is how many weekends you have left with your kid before they move out of home when they're 10 years old. This is how many Saturdays you have with your kid. What about when they're 13, when they're 15? This is how many weeks left you have with your child. <coughs> I don't think it's wise and I don't think the Bible teaches that we should wait until they're older to teach them about God. In fact, I think the Bible tells us the exact opposite. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, bring up your children in the training and the admonition of the Lord as opposed to the training and admonition or instruction of the world. All of a child's upbringing is to be saturated with studying the word of God. I'm not saying that because I've done it. I'm not saying that because I think it's easy. I'm just saying that because I'm sure that that's what the Bible asks. So may it never be said of Gipp Street, the thing that was said of Israel time and time again. And after that, there arose a generation after them who knew not the Lord. Let's make sure that doesn't happen in this congregation. Let's make sure that, that that's not said about our church. So we need to make sure that we proclaim God to our kids. We also have a duty to not exclude them from our Christian beliefs. Look, there's obviously some balance here. I don't, I'm not saying that you should get your kids to drop out of school and go to a seminary and, and study the Bible to the neglect of all other things. I'm not saying that, that, that you can't um, send your kids to school and get them to learn about the things that are important in life. But to say that Christianity is just for grown-ups and there's nothing you can do as a kid or there's no way you can contribute to, to God and to the work of the church if you're a kid, it's simply unbiblical. It's not what the Bible says about childhood. Look at, if you um, turn back to Psalm 71 with me. Psalm 71 And let's read verse 5, Psalm 71, 5. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. And again, verse 17. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Look also with me at 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12. And it says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, 
and in purity. And you remember what Paul says to Timothy um, at the beginning of um, the next letter there in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you just quickly turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says in verse 5, I'm reminded of the sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. These, these people were instilling a faith in Timothy right from his early ages. And so when he was a youth, Paul was able to lay this incredible command on him. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Instead of the older people being an example for you, you be an example for the older people. Um, to all of our young people, if you see faults in older people, if you look around, whether it's at church or at work or at school, wherever you're at, and you see faults in adults, don't complain about it. Do better. Don't say, oh, they've failed and so I'll, I'll just give up. You set the example. You raise your game. You heighten your expectations. We, we, often our culture has really low expectations for our young people. We, we expect them to rebel. We expect them to be lazy. We expect them to not participate. And Paul says, don't do that. You show people that you're an example. You rise above. You outdo the adults that you see around you. If you see them failing, don't complain. Don't sit back and say, oh, well, they can't do it, so I'm just going to leave. Do better. Let's make this church better in the next generation than it is now. And then hopefully your kids can outdo you as well and their kids will outdo them. In Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1, and talks about remember your creator in the days of your youth. It's too late if you remember your creator afterwards. If you turn back later in life when your life is ruined by sin, when you've tried to live without God and you're feeling all the heartache of what might be broken marriages, what might be um, kids who you haven't raised in the church, what might be trauma that you haven't dealt with because you haven't had Christ with you. Remember your creator not when you are too old, but when you are young and in your youth, let's not tell our kids that Christianity is for when they grow up. Christianity is for always, and there is always something they can do to grow closer to God and have a faith in God. Number three, we need to direct their attention to God. What's the most commonly stated thing that kids say if they grow up in the church and they leave the church? Their reason for leaving the church is almost always, well, I saw the church and they're a bunch of hypocrites or the church is all flawed or the church has all, this, all these problems. The church is imperfect. That is not insightful at all. Okay, and, and to our young people, if that's what's going through your mind, that the church is flawed and imperfect and you think that you've come to this clever conclusion that the church has flawed people in it, that's not clever. Everyone knows that. The adults know that really well. The older you get and the more acquaintance that you have with the church, the more you know firmly that the church is made of flawed people, imperfect people, people who sometimes might hurt you, people who sometimes might do things that frustrate you. Don't leave the church because you think you've come to this wonderful, incredible new conclusion that there are flawed people in the church. That's immature thinking. We all know that there are flawed people in the church. We stay in the church 
not because we worship the people, but because we worship God. And adults, we need to make sure that we are instilling in our youth that we follow Christ, not follow the church or, or Gipp Street or the preacher or the leaders. We follow Christ because he is perfect. We worship God because he is perfect. And if, you can, if we can get our kids to love God, imperfect people won't stand in the way. Imperfect congregations won't stand in the way of their faith. We need to direct our kids' attention not to the flawed people in the congregation but to the perfect God whom we follow. Jesus didn't say, go to a church that will make you happy and has everything perfect. Point to the verse where he says that. It's just not in there. He does say, follow me. And he says it again and again and again. Adults, let's make sure we do this. Let's make sure that we teach our kids. It's not about following the preacher. not about following the congregation. It's not about following this person or that person. It's about following Christ. And fourth, we need to encourage and build them up. We need to help our kids. Because being a kid is hard. The peer pressure, the uncertainties, the exams, the assignments, the pressure from parents, the pressure from teachers, the worldly influences that you have to battle. If I did a poll of all the adults in this room and said, would you like to go back to high school and do it again? I know for me, I would not like to do that at all. That's one of my least favourite thoughts. Uh, there's, there's almost nothing I would... Um, agonize over than going back and having to go through that time because I didn't like it and I thought it was really tough and for all of our young people going through that I'm sorry that it's tough and yeah it is hard and peer pressure is really strong and worldly influences are, are really big but it won't last forever you will finish high school one day you will move on in your life and and there will be better times ahead I'm sure until that time, let's make sure us adults are encouraging our young people and building them up. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11, let's turn there. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11. says this therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing if you see our kids and our youth and they seem detached or they seem like they're going through a hard time they need encouragement just like the rest of us this verse doesn't just apply to adults this verse doesn't just apply to i don't know people above 18 or 21 or 25 this verse applies to our young people we need to find opportunities to build them up and say, hey, you're doing a good job. Stick in there. School is tough. You're going through a lot of hardships with friends and with influences and pressures, all sorts of things. Just keep on hanging in there. Keep on trying. It will get easier as you go on. Galatians 6 and verse 2. Galatians 6 and verse 2. Turn there with me.
I don't know why, but sometimes I'm tempted to only apply these verses to adults. I, I don't know what makes me do that, but these verses apply to kids as well. Uh, Galatians 6 and verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the law of Christ. This is what we are required to do, to bear each other's burdens. And when there are young people going through hard times, the statistics, I mean, I didn't prepare the statistics, but you just look at at, at youth mental health and look at youth loneliness and, and depression and anxiety. There are a lot of young people who are hurting in really significant ways. Those are burdens. Those are genuine burdens and we need to help to carry those things where possible. Um, Just because they're not adults, that doesn't exclude us from helping. That doesn't mean it's not our responsibility. When we see burdens that are weighing people down, no matter how young, we need to help. We need to give an encouraging word. All right. So, to wrap this up, let me just say to our young people, to our kids, you're really important. You really matter to us, no matter how young you are. You give this congregation a lot of strength, give it a lot of hope and joy. There's a lot of enthusiasm in this congregation. There's a lot of energy in this congregation from all of the kids who are running around this building when they shouldn't be. You really do matter to us and you really do matter to Christ. Look at what um, Jesus said in Mark 9 and verse 37. Mark 9 and verse 37. It says, whoever receives... Actually, let's read 36 and 37. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them all, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus had time for kids. Jesus cared about the young people. We want to be a congregation, young people, where you are respected, where you feel like you belong, where you feel like you are appreciated and loved and valued. And on behalf of all the adults, we're sorry for when we fail. We know that we do. We know that we don't meet all your needs. We know that we often fall short in all sorts of sin. But please don't look to us. Please don't follow us. Please follow God. Please become a disciple of Christ, not a a disciple of Daniel or a disciple of Gip Street or anyone who is in the leadership here, anyone you look up to. Do not follow those people follow God. He will never fail you. He will never leave you. To our, um, our dads, fatherhood is such an incredible calling. God calls himself a father. That's pretty significant. That shows you just how tough it is when you're called to walk in the same way that God does and caring for your kids. To our dads, thanks for being the spiritual rock for your family. Thanks for pointing your kids towards God. Thanks for the battles that you fight and for all of the discouragement that you overcome and all of the days that are really difficult, but you get through it anyway because you're not fighting for you, you're fighting for your kids. I know a lot of dads who are facing all sorts of 
trials and troubles and hurt and heartache and you're still here bringing your kids along, pointing them towards God. That's a real spiritual strength of yours and all credit to you for that incredible job that you do. And don't give up doing it. Keep doing it for your kids. To our our mums, thank you for the hours and the hours and the hours and the hours and the hours that you sacrifice. You know what Jesus said there in Mark chapter 9. He says, if you receive a child in my name, you receive me. What he's saying there is that your job in motherhood is not some mundane, pointless task. It is one of the highest services that you can do in the church. It's just as important as preaching, just as important as as being an elder or a deacon. Motherhood is about serving your kids, and every time you serve your kids, you're serving Christ. Remember what um, Mary said when the angel came to her and said, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. Um, the most shocking news in all of history. You remember what she said? She says, um, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your words. In Luke chapter 1. I'm the servant of the Lord. So I will take on the task of motherhood day by day. The school pickups and the forms that you have to fill in and the endless lunches and the sports and the music and all of the, the mundane things of motherhood that's serving Christ. And Christ says, you do those things to them, you're doing it to him. So keep working because the creator of the universe has called you to serve him in your motherhood. And all of those things that you do as a mother, God is watching and God says, that's the same as if you're doing it to me. To all of the, the rest, to people like me, everyone else, Everyone who doesn't fit in those categories. If you're not a young person or a mum or a dad, um, what's there to say for us? Let's be mindful of all the hard work that our parents are doing in this congregation. I might find it hard to show up on a Sunday morning. I might stumble out of bed. I don't have kids to get up. I don't have breakfasts to make and kids to dress and shower and prepare. I know that there are parents who are doing five or ten times as much work, probably a hundred times as much work as I'm doing, and you do it and you bear it all, and I just need to be more appreciative of the work that you're doing. Let's help out where we can. Let's look for opportunities to bear those burdens that the parents are facing. Let's also look for opportunities to help our young people. And let's remember that our young people give us some of the best motivation for working in the church. When we look out and we see troubles and we see problems and and we want to shrink back and we want to retreat, let's be motivated by the young people that we see around us and say, I'm not going to give up because there are young people that I need to help teach, that I need to give an example to. Two years ago, Hannah and I were trying to work out what we were going to do with our life. Uh, we were just about to get married and we were about to move somewhere. We, we didn't know where we were going to move. So we had a number of different places we'd lined up and we sat down for well, ages and ages. We got out a pen and paper and we drew pros and cons lists for all of the different places we might go and all of the things that we might do. And we knew this would be a fairly significant move. You know, we'd, we'd move somewhere and we weren't sure where we'd be moving next. And it was really hard to choose where we were going to move. 
we had a lot of really good factors in a lot of different places and a lot of negatives as well in different places. I tell you what, that decision we actually came to fairly quickly once we'd listed everything out because there was one factor that stood out above everything else and that was the youth of this congregation. That was our young people that we have here. I'm sorry to say older people, it wasn't you. <laughs> it wasn't the gardens of Toowoomba that drew us here. It wasn't the second range crossing that we were excited about. It was our young people because this congregation has an incredible asset of having young people who are engaged and involved, of having young people who participate and who, to the credit of their parents, are asking good questions, who are engaged in their studies. This congregation has young people who are incredibly intelligent. Some of the most intelligent young people I think I've ever seen. They've got plans to have all these big degrees. They've got plans to do all these ambitious things. I'm intimidated by all of the intelligence that is found in our young people. We have young people who are creative, who are clever, just naturally clever. We have young people who are funny. You should come to our youth groups. They make me laugh so much. These guys could be professional comedians. We have young people who care deeply. We have young people who show compassion and thoughtfulness and are an example to us adults. And when Hannah and I looked at these young people and considered where we might go, we just wanted to be with these young people. And I hope you do too. I hope you want to work with these young people. I hope we can all work with our young people to build this congregation better and better, generation by generation. I can't wait to see what the church looks like here in 10 years or 20 years. I can't wait to see our students becoming teachers. I can't wait to see these young people who are so clever and so intelligent and so thoughtful and kind. I can't wait to see them becoming the leaders of the church in the next generation. So let's work on making that happen. Let's encourage our children day by day, week by week, and make sure we're all pointing them to God. Thanks.